Apple presents events at the Apple Store. Let's take a look at the trailer for 12 Years a Slave. I want to ask you what part of the country you come from. I originate from Canada. I guess where that is. Oh, I know where Canada is. I've been there myself. Well, travel for a slave. Solomon Northup is an expert player on the violin. I was born a free man. Lived with my family in New York. Be good for your mother. Until the day I was deceived. To Solomon. Kidnapped. Sold into slavery. Oh boy, how you feel now? My name is Solomon North. I'm a free man, and you have no right whatsoever to detain me. You're no free man. You're nothing but a Georgia runaway. We're down to the river Jordan. And that servant that don't obey his lord shall be beaten with many stripes. That's scripture. The condition of your laborers, it's all wrong. They're my property. You say that with pride. I say it as fact. Speak! Man does how he pleases with his property. You come here. I say come here! Days ago, I was with my family in my home. Now you tell me all is lost. If you want to survive, do and say as little as possible. My soul arising. But I don't want to survive. I want to live. You know something. I did as instructed. There's something wrong. It's wrong with the instruction. Master bought you here to work. Anymore, I'll earn you a hundred lashes. I know what it's like to be the object of Master's lash. No! In his own time, good Lord to manage them all. I will survive. I will not fall into despair. I will keep myself hardy till freedom is opportune. Please welcome this evening's guest moderator from the Film Society of Lincoln Center, Eugene Hernandez, and tonight's guest, Steve McQueen. Thank you for being here. Welcome, Steve McQueen. The film 12 Years a Slave is playing at the New York Film Festival tomorrow night and again on Sunday. Um, I've had the privilege of seeing the film uh, a few weeks ago at the Telluride Film Festival and then uh, again this morning at the New York Film Festival at a press screening. And Steve, you said in, you said in Telluride that before you found the book 12 Years a Slave, and we'll talk more about the book and, and, and the story, um, in a moment, uh, but you said that before you found the book, you had decided that you wanted to make a movie um, or write a screenplay, make a movie about uh, American slavery. When did that, when did that light bulb go off in your head? When did you make that sort of decision? And why was this, why, why did you make that decision? Why did you want to tell that story? Well, well it's more about slavery, really, in general. Um, it happened to become an American story through the book I found. And the reason why I wanted to sort of make a movie about slavery was just because it was a, 
you know, someone asked me a question recently. Um, it was a strange question. It was a question that I've never been asked before. What, when was it the first time you, 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 you heard about slavery? I can't remember as a, as a child. I can't remember. But all I remember was a huge sense of shame, a huge sense of, um, you know, yeah, embarrassment, really. And I wanted to sort of overcome that. I wanted to conquer it. I wanted to tame it. I wanted to master it. I wanted to understand it. And it was one of these things where, in the, in the history of cinema, there was a massive hole regarding this huge world, not just American, subject, huge. And um, I wanted to investigate it. And uh, that, was my, that, was my, that was my want. Have you ever wondered why, or have you ever been able to figure out why there's been such a hole? I mean, certainly the topic has been explored even recently. And... Uh, you know Tarantino's film last year, but but it but you're absolutely right when you when you ex explain that that it it certainly hasn't been explored in any in depth way um, for well, years. I, I, I mean, think, it, it, well, I think I think in America people were pretty embarrassed by the whole thing. I mean, to avoid it, I think it was okay looking at sort of uh, Germans in, or Nazis in, in Germany. Um, as far as Holocaust is concerned, because it was something which was f removed. And in one's own backyard, it's, I think it's difficult, and understandable, really, difficult to deal with, and to contemplate, and to, and to comprehend. Um, but now I think people are actually open to wanting to deal with this subject matter. I mean, you know, with the unfortunate events of Trayvon Martin, with you know, having a black president, the 150th anniversary of the uh, abolition of slavery, 50th anniversary of the March on Washington, you know, the, the, the voting rights being, um, you know, taken back as such. I mean, it's a perfect storm right now. And I think people are asking themselves, who are they and what are they within the context of now? And what, how did they come to this as such? You know, looking backwards, you need to look, in order to go forwards, one has to look backwards. I think people are very much sort of um, want to engage in this particular subject right now. Can I'm you very pleased, of course. Can you elaborate for me um, as I try to, uh, I want to get to a little bit more about um, your own personal um, reason for wanting to explore this. And I'm curious to know in your background, your upbringing, your schooling, how the subject was treated, whether that's American slavery or slavery um, in general, how it was explored for you in your upbringing. And, and you mentioned well, it feeling this <laughs> sense of... It wasn't at all. It wasn't at all. No, it wasn't at all. I mean, there was a very brief... History lesson, if anything, you know, a day, that was it, we're off. No to the Second World War, you know? <laughs> it was more, more like that for me in, in, in Europe. Um, and again, you know, I think the psychological impact of slavery, I mean, we see it walk out the street. You see it. I mean, the you know, mental health, you know, unemployment, prisons. I mean, it's, it's quite evident. You know, when it, one doesn't have to travel far to sort of see the evidence of slavery. Um, and it's one of those things which obviously needs to be talked about and, and examined. I mean, you know, it's quite obvious, unfortunately. Uh, you live in Amsterdam, and um, you said something to the effect of uh, when, you, when, you were, uh, when you found this book, and I want to have you explain how and when you found this book in a moment, but when you found this book, you couldn't help but reflect on uh, the diary of Anne Frank. Um, tell me about uh, your wife finding this book and yeah. handing it to you in that experience. Well, I had the idea, I needed an in onto the subject matter of slavery, and my in was that I had this idea of a free man who gets kidnapped into slavery. Um, uh, and I was working with uh, John Ridley on the script, 
and um, you know it, it was it was a bit stagnant. And I was talking to my wife, and she said to me, "Well, why don't you look into the real accounts of slavery?" You know, duh, obviously. Um, and then we both did some research, and then she found this book, 12 Years a Slave." Um, and she said, I think I got it. And if anything, that was a obviously huge understatement because once, since I, when I had it in my hand and I was reading the book and turning every page, it, every page became this kind of revelation. And how long was, ago was that? When was, how long ago was it that she found it? Uh, 2011, possibly. Oh, oh my, I was acquainted with my son. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah oh, how old's next? Uh, he's four. So, yeah, okay, 2009. <laughs> sorry, um, uh, um, yeah. Um, sorry, um, it's good. To go. So the, yeah, so um, we found the book, and uh, well, I was very upset with myself. Really, very upset with myself. So because how come I didn't know about this book? How I how did I not know this book? And then I realized no one I knew knew about this book. And what was interesting about it was like you know, 97 years before. And Frank's diary, there was this guy called Solomon Northup who wrote this book about slavery, a, a first-hand account, obviously. And it was just, it was just uh, upset with myself, but then, you know, that was it. I had, the idea came into three dimensions in my hand, and uh, that was the script. There it was. And I thought, okay, let's, 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 let's go for it. As you see in the trailer and as we've alluded to, but just to be more specific, uh, the film is the story of a man, um, a northern man, who... Um, is kidnapped into slavery, um, and it's a harrowing, um, the concept is not only harrowing, but what we uh, witness in this film um, that he endures is um, beyond terrifying. Um, tell me about, uh, as you read that book then, and learned about his story, um, tell me about some of the early steps you took and the early decisions you made um, as to how you would adapt it. I, I, can, I haven't read it, so I, I'm wondering sure. about the different directions I mean, look, you could I mean, have gone. The main thing, I just want to obliterate well, a little bit of your question through this one word. It's called love. It's very odd, interesting, wonderful, challenging, confrontational, upsetting word. Because that's the thing what I, what I discovered through reading the book, in a way, um, that this person and had survived through his love for his family and, and, and a certain kind of, uh, how can I say, strength, as it were. And I can't think of, you know, again, with the book, it was, it was, it was a process. It was a long, it was a process of, you know, reading, you know, again, I think 80% of the dialogue comes from the book because it's so good. You know, I mean, you know, it's, it is what it is. I mean, you, you, you play with it within form, structure, and of course, add scenes and so forth. But, but it's, it was the eighty percent of dialogue of this of this of this picture is from the book, because it was so it was so good. I don't. I don't it, it, it's it's about structure for me more than anything. Um, yeah. Sorry. Hope that answers the question. You said something today uh, that no, you said something today about um, that I hadn't heard a way you described the film in a way I hadn't heard. But it, but the more I thought about it after, and since uh, heading over here this afternoon, you called the movie science fiction. Yes. Maybe you could elaborate on Well, when on I that. first, I mean, again, it's, it, was, it reminded me of Pinocchio. You know, it's, in, a, in a movie, if you obviously you haven't seen it yet, there's these two men called Hamilton and, Brown, Hamilton and Brown who actually lure Solomon to, to play in the circus. So it was, this, it, was, it was Pinocchio. And at the same time, it reminded me of, of 
the, the Brothers Grimm, you know, very dark, sort of, a fairy, it was a, it's a fairy tale. It's like Hansel and Gretel, you sort of start out, you know, in a happy place, you go through uh, the most darkest place you could think of and come out again, you know, back home, you know, you wake up, a, a second nightmare, but you, you dip your toe in something, you come out. So that was interesting to me, because that traditional, talk about, go back to structure a little bit, that traditional storytelling structure was there already in ain't, so into, the, in, into the, the piece itself. So it was, it was there. It was, for me, this whole film was like a fairy tale. Science fiction was the whole idea. When I was thinking of science fiction, the analogy I was, I was thinking about was that, you know, if you, if you came down from Earth, sorry, excuse me, if you came down from space onto Earth, you know, there's this book called The Bible and it's been interpreted in, in certain, certain ways by three different people in a very different way. These people who are slaves, people who aren't slaves. It's, it, it's, it's a kind of, it's, it's so surreal what happened in our recent past that it, it goes beyond belief. But yeah, it's actually actually happened. I mean, the reason why I'm sitting here is because people survived. My, some of my ancestors survived. The reason why I'm sitting here. And they weren't Bruce Willis with a, you know, AK-47 and a grenade, unfortunately. They had to sort of deal with it the way they had to deal with it. You know? and, and no, no disrespect to Bruce Willis, who's brilliant. <laughs> this movie is certainly about, about this one man's uh, survival and then that, uh, that survival or the, the intended survival of the people around him. Uh, uh, over this dozen years. I want to switch topics a slight bit to talk a bit about your own work as a filmmaker and how this, um, you, you continue, you've continued to push the boundaries of, of, I think, how, at least it seems to me as a viewer of, of your films, you seem to be pushing the boundaries for yourself of what cinema is to you. If you look at your short film work that, um, if people have seen it, um, they might have seen it in a, in a gallery setting um, and then into your feature work, um, which perhaps feels a little more uh, interior in, um, in, in hunger. And, and now we, you know, as we move through shame and now to this film, um, I see you at least um, pushing yourself and your own personal definition of what cinema is, at least it's expressed differently here than I've ever seen you before. So I want to ask you a very basic question, which is how you as a, as a creative person define cinema and how your own definition of cinema has changed over the past 10 years or so. So I, I, I would label cinema, I mean, again, I think it's just art. I mean, again, I just want to, I don't want to confine it to uh, images, uh, moving images or you know, music, it's all kinds of, I mean, again, my, I mean, what I say to myself is I'm, I mean, for me, it's just a case of, you know, we're all going to die, might as well just go for it. I mean, you know, literally. I mean, my, and, I, and I, I mean it with, with no joke, we're all going to die. So you just might as well just go for it. And risk and try and experiment and fail and fail better. You know, all of these things, you know. I mean, you know, I don't mind making myself in, into a fool. And I'm way not cool. And I'm happy because I'm just trying to sort of make shit happen, whatever it is. I mean, I, mean, I might have, you know, have egg on my face, but you, through experimenting, through challenging, you somehow think... It could, it could get through. Something could actually happen, which you never thought would, would happen before. So it's all about taking risk in a way, but not, you know, not, not for risk's sake, but for the art's sake, because that's what art is. It's about experimenting, trying, failing, failing better. That's about it. You always fail because you always come up with a, a question, and you always try to answer the question with the next thing, which actually becomes another question. So that's, that's, that's what it is for me. Did conversation you, and you felt it you felt a sense of risk in telling the story a, a creative risk personal risk did it feel did it feel in what ways did it feel challenging for you i think you know making a film about slavery for one i mean the subject matter i mean the subject matter the way we shot um tell us know, about that again it's it's one of those things where 
you're trying to get to something, you're trying to sort of get to a sense of uh, a feel. I mean, again, with the actors, it's kind of, you want the actors to be almost become, you know, it's all about, for me, about rehearsal. Rehearsal is, is, the is, is where it actually happens. It's like training for the Olympics, you know, for four years, and then the gun goes off, and then you've got to perform, the camera's rolling. What I mean by that is that within rehearsal, you're trying to get to a situation where the characters really, sorry, the actors, well, sorry, um, know the characters. So when they come on set, no matter what they do, it's never a mistake. They become, a, like I said this before, they become spheres. So however they move is correct. They're perfect. That's what you want to get at. That's what you're trying for. That's what you're striving for. Um, yeah, that's it. As far as actors are concerned, other, we, we could go on and on and on, on about other camera and so forth. I've been working with Sean Bobbitt for 13 years, the cameraman. So you know, me and Sean are pretty, pretty close. He's a Texan, living in England forever. And it's just a case of, um, you know, again, you know, I love Sean because he's like a Tai Chi cameraman. Uh, you know, if the, you know, the, the camera's on the tripod, if the wind blows the camera this way, okay, well, let's go with this. Let's see, what's ha we'll see what happens here. Again, it's, it's allowing, what is it? It's about embracing, you know, really em embracing the environment, making it yours, being comfortable in this situation. Because often you write the script and you go to the location, everything's different to how you, how you, how you thought it would, would be. You, know, you, you just embrace it, you, you, you make it yours, that's all. In the film, you're, um, you're painting a portrait of a particular moment in time uh, in the American South. Uh, you do that through uh, sometimes extended um, widescreen images of landscape, sun, sunsets, sunrises, um, so the color of the sky, the trees. Um, and you're mixing that at times with um, uh, Slave songs, uh, songs of this period sung by, by slaves. Um, I'm wondering about the portrait that you're trying to paint of the American South at this particular it's time. It's, before I forget, because I've got um, it's pioneering. It's epic. I think, of course, the American landscape. I mean, me from Europe. You know, it's like you come in, it's like so bloody big. Um, you know, it's pioneering. It's it's it's. I mean, I mean, with the, even with the, with song. You know, with with with, with the spirituals, it's pioneering. You know, you hear music now, you know where it comes from. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, we, we, heard, we did a lot of research. Did a lot of research with um, Alan Lomax, um, uh, slave songs. There was Ireland off the United States. Someone will know uh, where people were still singing those songs. They so recorded there, and it's just amazing. So this kind of pioneering as within vocals. Uh, you know the sound design is, is pretty uh, you know, amazing. I'll talk to you about that later. And of course the visuals. We had to have this wide berth, this girth of image, because it was all about that landscape. You know, the, the breath is so huge. You know, mm -hmm. yeah, Alan Lomax being the the, the, guy, the guy that stole who, those songs. Yes, he basically went yes. out and found these songs and then well, kind he was of paid. He was paid by the by He's the government. He's credited in the, your credit. He owns he, all those songs. He does own them. Yeah, that's incredible. I want to take a look at a, um, a we have a clip. Thank you, by the way, for maybe use them, Mr. Lomax. <laughs> Let's take a look at a clip from 12 Years a Slave, and we'll talk more, and we'll take your questions. Solomon, can I interest you in a new cravat? Pure silk by way of the fresh. We were in need of a fresh carry-off in my missus's travels. Nothing more. The year has passed already. Off to work at Sandy Hill again. I am. I have just the thing. Something to suit your style and yet sturdy enough for the 40 mile round trip. It's beautiful. Of what price? We will take it. Children, 
Come see what your father has just purchased for me. Oh, one moment, sir, and you'll be assisted. Mr. Parker. Sir. We can discuss the price. Oh, forgive me, Solomon. This is north of the customer waits. Welcome, sir. Shop well, sir, but mind your wallet. Hey, no attention to this gentleman's nonsense. Jasper! My regrets for the intrusion, sir. No intrusion. Good day, sir. Good day. Jasper. Out. Just as a quick aside, what can you tell us about the um, about the language that we hear spoken, the the way that people speak to each other at this time period? Um, there's a there's a politeness that's at play, even though down below uh, the surface there's um, you know horrific things going on. Um, but the language has a has a very specific kind of, and I thought about it a lot today as I was listening to the film again. Um, what can you tell us about the language of the period and, and the dialogue of the period? You said that much of it comes from the book itself. Well, it's, it's, it reminds me, it's very, very British in a way, you know, yeah, it's like saying hello, but at the same time it's saying fuck you. <laughs> There's a real kind of, uh, you know, undercurrent, undertone, it's, it's, it's polite, it's, you know, it, it is, uh, you know, there's a certain kind of etiquette. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, quite, I quite like that. Yeah. Uh, in, the, in the scene you see, um, you see Solomon, uh, played by Chiwetel Ejiofor. Um, perhaps you could tell us about why, why he was right for this role. Twitter, it sort of reminds me of, I mean, of, of Sidney Poitier or Harry Belafonte. There was a certain kind of class and a certain kind of uh, genteelness about him, which I, I wanted for that character. He has a, he stat, he has a certain kind of stature, which it's just, you know, it, when, you, when you're in a room with him, you, 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 you feel there's an extreme confidence and a real kind of humanity, actually, about him, which obviously I needed to have through the duration of the film. They could hold on to that, this kind of dignity, which, which I wanted. Was it hard to find your Solomon? Was it hard to find that actor, or did it happen? Uh, no, no, I knew it was him from, yeah, so it had to be him. Really? Couldn't be anyone else, no. Uh, the film is um, produced by a company, or one of the production companies involved is Plan B, which is a company that in part is um, run by Brad Pitt, uh, one of your producers on the film, and he has a role in the film as well. Um, a film like this, no doubt, gains a tremendous amount of momentum uh, the moment you have a name like Brad Pitt, either on screen or behind camera. Uh, tell us about his involvement and his own company's involvement, Dee Dee Gardner, uh, Jeremy Kleiner. How did they get involved? How did you intersect with, uh, with Brad Pitt? They were kind of fundamental. I, I think, you know, um, they uh, chased me after hunger and wanted to work with me. Um, and that was pretty, uh, pretty early. And uh, they wanted to say, well, what, what did you want to make? And, um, and that's my talking about slavery, the, the idea of the project about slavery. And they were very, you know, on wanting to work with me. So, and that was great. And I met Brad when he was uh, shooting World War Z in London. And I used to hang out for him for a long, long, with two, we had a long, with a long, long chat and a nice drink for him. And uh, yeah, I mean, after my 15 minutes of being starstruck, of course, there was like another three hours of just chatting about, you know, the, 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 the process and, and, and what I wanted to do and how, how I wanted to do it. And he was, he was down. He was down for it. It was, it was, it was pretty amazing. Um, might be a naive question, but I have to wonder what surprised you, if anything, about working so closely within, or at least in part within the Hollywood system, working with an actor who's so well-known, a company that, that makes films in Hollywood, at the very least geographically. Um, it, it, like it, for me, it, seem, it seems very far from, uh, you know, from a movie like Shame or a movie like Hunger that are made 
so far outside of that system. Maybe the difference isn't that pronounced, but, but I'm curious about it. I didn't really care, you know? I didn't really care. Um, I knew what film I wanted to make, and I was, I I was going to make it. I mean, I, I, I had Final Cut. I didn't make, there was no changes in what I wanted to do. I did exactly what I wanted to do. So, you know, I don't know how I'm ending how, you know, apparently people are shocked and oh, how, you, how you do that, I don't know. But I think you do it by just fucking doing it and stop talking about it, really. Everyone talks themselves out of shit. Just fucking do it. It's that easy, really. Uh, Steve McQueen is celebrating his 44th birthday in two days. What are you telling people that for? It's on Wikipedia. It's right there. Oh, no. (laughs) Damn. Okay. Sorry. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Uh, I want to take some questions from the audience, and I might throw in a couple more as well, but there's a big crowd here, and for those listening in, uh, we have a podcast that folks will be able to listen to, but we have a big crowd here at the Apple Store in Soho. Thank you. I have a question concerning uh, the uh, score of uh, 12 Years a Slave, which seemed to be very similar um, to Shame, although there are different uh, composers, Hans Zimmer with this one and the other one. So was this intentional or...? No, not at all. Um, I don't hear the difference. I mean, I hear the difference. I don't hear the similarities, uh, no. Um, uh, I don't say it about that. Uh, I disagree, but uh, interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I tell you how it was interesting about working with Hans. Was that Hans Hans Zimmer did a score? Was that um, I, you know, we had this first we had a three-hour, five-hour conversation in his studio, then another one, and then another one. It was fifteen hours of chat. And then two other three-hour fucking, excuse my language, three-hour <laughs> three conversations on the phone. And then I went to his studio, and he went, ding. I was oh, man, that was amazing, this one note. And it was a process of him talking about the film. He's very interesting in some ways. It's always about what, what is the film about, what, how do we do what you, you know, the intent, whatever, whatever. And he's talking, 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 talking. And through the talk came, came the melody, came the... Came, came the the actual song, it was, it was pretty amazing. He's a, 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 you know, a great, he saved my life, I think, in a way, because of, he has these musicians, of course, these artists in his, uh, in his studio, and you, you know, they're all there. They're just walking around, and it's, it's kind of, it's wonderful. Yeah, moving on, sorry. I had wanted to go, I'm gonna throw another question out before we go to the other so, side, yes, because I had wanted to go backwards at one sure. point. Um, go on. Do you remember when it was that you, do you remember when it was that you decided you wanted to make film? Yeah, I had this girlfriend, um, and uh, you know, for me, going to the movies was all about sort of you know, girls and um, you know, hanging out. And go- you never went to movies on your own where I come from. You look, otherwise, you'd be sad. What are you doing on your own in a movie theater? And she was a person who introduced me to sort of um, you know, cinema in a way. You know, things like you know, French cinema, Korean, Italian. You know. It was interesting. It was just wow. It was when I was in art school. It just opened my eyes, and it was just one of those things where you know I saw the possibilities in in film. I mean, again, it's like you know, seeing how people sort of eat for breakfast in, in in Japan or France or you know Germany or you know United States or Argentina. It was interesting on film, and it was just went every 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 day. I saw two movies a day for about five years of my life. And that changed your practice. 
very quickly? Oh, it changed my world because the perspective was so huge because film allows you to not just talk about the obvious, it, talk, it, just, it talk, lets you talk about the intimate. It's so beautiful, you know? Mm. Yeah. Hi, um, I noticed that you um, have a terrific professional relationship with Michael Fassbender. You, it seems that your movies bring out the best in his performances. Um, and it looks like it just sort of developed organically. Are there any other actors that you can see sort of almost having like, a, almost like you have like a set set of players for your films? A lot of directors have done that in the past. And for you with Michael Fassbender, it seems to work beautifully. Is there anybody else you're interested in having a repeat relationship with where we could sort of look forward to seeing them yeah. in more of your films? I, you know, again, you're correct to say these things happen organically. It's like falling in love. You often, you don't choose, it just happens. Like, wow, you know, boom. It's like, oh, you know, okay. So with Michael, it was like that. And again, I, I would say, any time I ever had that again, you know, again, it's, it's unpredictable. I mean, you know, there's people like Chiritel Ajafer, there's Pordano, there's Lupita Youngo, who's amazing. He's always great actors, uh, you know. Uh, you know, uh, Paul Giamatti. I mean, there's always amazing actors that, you know, who knows? Again, a, a, a relationship could actually develop. I mean, you know, with Lupita, for example, that was the first time she was on... on, on in, in, you haven't seen this actress. She's, she's actually amazing. She plays a character called Patsy, who's incredible. Uh, basically, a star is born. We auditioned over a 1,000 women for this role. And I, I was at a time where I, I didn't think I could, I would get this, this actress, I would get the, the, I would get the right person for this, for, for this uh, part, and she just came and, and blew, blew me away. Uh, and she, 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 yeah, a star is born, she's, she's gonna be very, a huge talent, huge talent. So possibly, I don't know, who knows. If Fassbender was love at first sight, do you remember that first moment when you set eyes on him? Do you remember your first? <laughs> Professionally, do you remember your first uh, meeting with him or connection? With, with, with or with how most, did you guys find with, each with other? With most love stories, uh, you, you, you often hate the people you fall in love with at first. Like, what if, uh, he came into audition. Who's this guy? You know, it was one of those things where you know it didn't connect at first. There wasn't, there wasn't not a connection. It was just that I was naive to the fact as a, as a sort of sort of new director that how when people walk into an audition room, how much they give of themselves, especially if they've been a, a, a person who's been hurt a lot by auditions, or how much do you give? Do you give everything? Do you give, often, what do you know, how do you know what to do, what to say? You want to say the right thing, and at the same time, you want to be yourself. So when I first met Michael in the audition, I didn't really, you know, I, I, I didn't really, I thought he was a bit cocky. And then, obviously, he, he came back, was, I had a great, um, a great casting, um, uh, a great casting director, um, whose name I'm trying to remember, I will remember by the end of the uh, but I remember, excuse me, I will remember at the end of this sentence, hopefully, um, who said, look, let him come back. I said, yeah, okay, let him come back, because other people wanted to see. And next time he came back, he was amazing, and that was it. So, uh, I was curious about um, when you were uh, researching the film, uh, what other movies about slavery, um, what, what did you observe in them that you wanted to do differently with your film? I didn't. I, the, the, the manuscript was enough. I didn't. I did a lot of research on, on slavery, on you know, the ins and outs and how it worked and, you know, the industry and so forth. But in films, I wasn't interested in, really. I just wanted to sort of research it firsthand. It's almost like, again, I wanted to be, I wanted to be blindfolded and, and thrown into an apartment building and having to navigate myself around that apartment building by my, you know, my, my, my touch, my, 
my, my, my, my, my, my, my other senses, you know? Therefore, I could make it something of my own. I could feel it, I could find it. I could f f look at things in a way that were there. Oh, sugar. I want, yeah, I want to look at things which were there and that I didn't have some kind of pre-posed idea to put on it. I want to feel it and touch it at the same moment and then make a judgment on it on, those, on that level rather than a, a pre-judgment. That's what, that was very important for me. So no, it was more, yeah, the actual thing. And also with the book, images that came out of my head from the, turning the page of the book, each page, image, oh yeah. But then when you go there to the actual location, it, it changes again, so yeah. Hi, I was wondering if um, through creating the uh, shame and through creating 12 Years a Slave, you said one of the reasons you did this was because you wanted to explore that area of embarrassment and shame you felt. Do you feel like you conquered a piece of that at all through through making these? Well, through my, yeah, well my embarrassment and my shame is everyone's, I think, coming to that subject matter. I mean, I'm going back to when I was a kid, you know, I remember when I was a kid and uh, having maybe I, I, my first understanding of what that is. So um, that's what that came from, you know. Uh, again, again, it's again, it's like the Holocaust in a way. You know, it is having to sort of grapple with that, um, embrace that, um, conquer that, uh, make it yours. That's what one has to do with these kind of you know atrocities. Hold it up and, not, and don't be ashamed. Be very, well, the word is definitely not proud, of course, but you know, it's, 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 it's part of you as it is part of everyone in this room. You know? um, so I, there was a second half of that question I, I, I totally forgot. Conquer. Do you feel like you conquered it? Ongoing, ongoing. <laughs> Do you feel any sense of, uh, I'm curious to know what kind of sense of responsibility or a burden you feel as you're tackling a subject such as this that has been ignored but it is so is so uh um loaded or do you have to kind of put that out of your mind and just kind of push forward and how do you how do you push push that out of your I head? don't care I you know I really don't care and I you know I just don't give a fuck um you know if you do then you you know you you, you just you disable yourself something in your body that won't work correctly you know I, I just don't I mean what, what my main focus you know one of my main focuses was trying to obviously to get this book into the national curriculum, 12 Years a Slave by Solomon Northup is a book, it's, 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 it's a classic. Everyone should, it's like, you know, you know who, everyone here has read Anne Frank, I imagine, or 99.8% of the people here have, have read Anne Frank's diary. It's the same with Solomon Northup's 12 Years a Slave. That's what I wanted, that, was, that, that, that is, that is you know, if you want to talk about um, the whole idea of trying to get somewhere, that would be something I would want to be involved in and hope the film can actually do that. People go out and buy it and put it in, in international curriculum because there is no book, as far as I'm aware, of an international curriculum which is a first-hand account of slavery. Hi. Um, we are living in a culture that is completely and totally oversaturated by suffering uh, to the point where so many of us are, as a people, unable to empathize or feel compassionate when we turn on the news and when we see people dying in the streets. I mean, we don't have a government right now, you know. Um, and yet you and a host of other filmmakers and artists are consistently and brutally and gracefully able to create stories that make us feel and that make us care and that make us feel that empathy that we're lacking in our everyday lives. Um, 
Do you do it more for you? Do you do it for us? What drives you to do it? I think television is another, is another beast. I think how we get our news is another beast. And it sort of, uh, it numbs us often. It's, it's, it's the news and the news, how it comes to us is, um, you know, is the same as any other news, you know. Uh, same as, as commercials come to us. So we are numbed out by the mechanics of television. I think with, with cinema, thank God for cinema, long live cinema, um, that when one comes together in a group and watch a picture, you know, you go there for a purpose. You go to sort of, you know, in majority of times you go to be entertained. I think that the power of cinema is still, I mean, you're just, what you're, what you're saying is the power, we talk about is the power of cinema still, which is amazing, that it can allow us to be uh, examine and question and, and, and to have a discussion about a topic which, you know, has been, you know, brushing brushed underneath the carpet, to be, to be honest. So I think you're, what you're talking about is, is the power of cinema and, uh, you know, long live cinema. In more of like a director's perspective, like you were talking earlier about rehearsing with actors. Um, like I personally feel like rehearsing with actors, especially for film, like it could probably like I don't know I think affects an actor's performance especially like with actors being natural and um, a little spontaneous with like you know with each scene like how do you go about rehearsing with actors especially for uh, inspirational and like moving film like this? Well, I think each actor is very different. I mean, some get it like this, others take a little longer. Um, others have to be left alone. It's 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 the case. It's 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 testing. You know, it's, it's prodding, it's finding out how things work, the musicians. And, you know, all you want to do is on the day that they jam at the same time. So, again, you know, certain times we, we did in Shame, for example, it was so good, I ended the, I ended the, um, the rehearsals after three days. Okay, the, the plane's taking off the runway here, let's just leave it and wait till we're on set. Here, took a little, little longer because people had to get in to get the dialogue, had to get the dialect had to get the sort of, you know, they, they were there for a while to get the heat, understand what the heat does to you. Um, so again, the physicality, the verbal, um, uh, had to sort of, it took a little bit longer just because of the obvious, the environment was so sup suppressing with this heat. And of course the dialect, you know, people had to learn. So yeah, it's, it's, it's different. It's all di always different for different people. Thanks. Um, Steve, you've had the opportunity to work with so many great actors, and, and I know you just said that they're all very different and everyone works very differently. Do you find that there's something that separates them from, I don't want to say not great actors, but what is, um, that takes them to a different level of work? I think they have to be artists. I think that's the difference. I mean, I don't want to work with, you know, movie stars, you know, or, or, or you know, or I'm not interested, I want to work with actors. You know, I'm not, I mean, you know, like Michael Fassbender is, is, is an artist because, you know, whatever it takes, he'll go there, he'll find out, he'll try, he'll experiment, you know, there'll be despair, then there'll be, yes, he'll, he's, he's a worker, you know, and he's not a complainer. He, you know, he wants to do something more than what he actually, he wants to go further beyond his own reach. He wants to get that point where, you know, it's beyond your reach. And I think what he does, uh, in a way, and I think what, uh, what happened to a lot of other actors in this piece, is he elevates people's, people's game. They see him and say, okay, let's do it. It's like a jamming. It's a musician's is the only way I can think about it. Because when you've got a good, you know, you, you go for it as well. And then you surprise him, he surprises you, she surprises you, it, it, it happens. And it's, it becomes very infectious. And what we had on set 
was we had a real huge support of each other. So it wasn't a case of, oh, he's bad, so he goes over there, I'm the slave, so I go. No, everyone was together. Everyone was embracing each other after the uh, a scene. Everyone went to dinner with each other. Everyone went for, went for a drink with each other. Everybody was with each other. And that was, that was pretty amazing. Again, if, you know, from the catering, makeup, hair, uh, wardrobe, sound, camera department, Grips, gaffers, electricians, it was our movie, you know, it was our movie, it was, you know, we, it was a we thing, you know, it was fantastic. This, you know, to make that environment for actors is just incredible, because actors like, throw a bit of racehorses in a way, you know, if you, they know what's up, they walk in a situation, they, they, you know, they're, they're skittish, they know what's, well, if they're in a situation where it's not, you know, safe as such, or they feel something going on, but when you have that environment where everyone is there supporting each other, you know, wow, then the actors are just, they could go wherever they, they could go wherever they want. They could, they could, they could, they could, you know, fall on their face and it's, you know, someone helping them to get up. It's, it's amazing what the, the possibilities are when, you know, it's, it's, everyone is together. And that's very important for me that it's, it's, uh, it's, that the crew is together, you know, uh, it's us, you know, it's wonderful. It's interesting to hear you talk about this sense of camaraderie and also in relation to the woman's question earlier, the, the power of cinema. I, I, I sense a tremendous amount of not only adventurousness in your spirit, but also optimism. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, no, I'm, you know, uh, yeah, as I said, we're all going to die, but you, might as, you know, we, uh, guess what? Before I die, we'll go for it. You know, what else can we do? You know, complain? No. Hi, over here. <laughs> Um, so I haven't seen the movie yet. I'm still. I'm really looking forward to it. But I wanted to ask you if you could say a little bit more about the story you wanted to tell, because you said that you didn't want to look at a lot of other films and you wanted to really focus on your own the story that you wanted to tell about this piece of American history. But in addition to that, I also wanted to know how you approached, particularly the issue of violence and how you wanted to think about violence and represent violence in its multiple dimensions in the film? Well, it was a balance. It was a balancing act. I mean, how much you put in, how much you leave out. Because, of course, you know, you know, to sort of sit in a movie and, and, and have these things, you know, it's not pleasant. But it's not about that. I mean, obviously, when you see the movie, hopefully you see the movie, you'll see it's, it's not about that. But one had to make a... If you're making a film about slavery, you have to go there. Either you make a film about slavery or you don't. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it, it's, it's one of those things where you have to have a, the, the balance. And we, I worked very hard on that. We worked very hard on, on getting that balance. So that's, that's, that's what I'll say, really, um, on, you know. I mean, if I was to film the actual book, take the book and film it as it was, I mean, you know, it would be far too much. But to have that balance, because cinema is interesting in a way that you could show things in a way that aren't seen. So evidence of things which aren't seen. James Baldwin book, evidence of things, evidence, come on, James Baldwin, evidence of things which aren't seen. I think it's the wrong pronunciation of the, of the title of the book, but similar. So you could show that within cinema. You could, see, you have, you could have a, a wolf of it, a smell almost. You know, unfortunately you can't do smell in cinema, but you can have an idea. Or stand, it's how you, um, forgive me, I'll, I'll be very quick with this one. It's how you uh, construct it, in a way. How you make the, 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 the yarn as such. Uh, I thought it was fascinating how you had one scene where the Bible is used to justify slavery and another scene where the, where the slaves are talking about how the Bible suggests liberation. And there's a, a, 
a subtext here about the, the role that religion plays in this context, and I'd like you to elaborate a little bit about uh, how you see religion in, in this context, how the slave masters using it to justify themselves, and the slaves are finding some sort of uh, solace in it. Yeah, I mean, again, I, 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 for me, it was this sort of science fiction for me, as an explanation, it is a book which is called like the Bible, and like uh, people use it to say different things about this book. It's kind of it's odd. It's just it was for me. It was a very oddity. It wasn't. I'd look at it in in in, in that way, in that perspective. Again, it's going into blindfolding yourself and walking into the apartment. What is this bloody book? And what, this person saying this about this book. This person saying this thing about in this book. These people saying this thing about this book. And now these other people are singing. This song, I mean, about, you know, with, with the sort of roll, John and roll. So it's very odd. I find it, you know, it's, of course, it's been extraordinary, you know. Um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Goodness gracious. It's been, you know, within tragedies like this, with slavery, Holocaust, whatever, it's been extraordinary, inspirational, and, uh, and encouraging, and, 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 you know, faith in that sense has been extraordinarily powerful. And other times it's been, as we are, as we are living in now, pretty much hell. You know, so you know, you, you you take from what you want from it and, and, and leave what you don't, sort of thing. I just want to know, like, if you had any advice for young filmmakers on trying to get their start within the, the higher up industry and past college and things like that. Go for it. I mean, I just think, you know, I was in NYU for three months. Um, wasn't my cup of tea, but it is other people's cup of tea. Film school, and I think I don't know if you need to go to film school now. I don't know, but you obviously need the contacts. How do you get in to the industry? Um, I don't know, um, but all I know is that you know it's just to sort of uh, to experiment. You're young man; you should just be experimenting. You should be holding that camera, throwing it up in the air, catching it, looking at this, writing a screenplay. I mean, just just go for it. Just experiment. Narrative. Read a lot. Read, read, read. There's a lot of books. Read narrative, um, and just and just go for it. Experiment. I mean, you know, again, you know. How you want to make films, how next generation of people want to make films, will, will be what we what we see. And I think you know, do not sort of be, you know, f f funneled into one stream, but uh, have a huge breath. You know, get to see foreign movies, everything. Just, just you know, again, it's open your eyes, go to art galleries. You know, those are the kind of things I, I would advise a young filmmaker. Twelve Years a Slave opens in limited release October eighteenth. Uh, Steve, thank you for your generosity today and spending time with us. Thank you guys for coming. Thank you very much. Thank you.